We've got a really controversial topic that we're going to tackle today. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. You can put your name in there. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon Brad because the Lord has anointed Brad to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent Brad to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness from, for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Now, we've got Daniel in our congregation, and Daniel's a plumber. Isn't that right, Daniel? Now, when you go out to do a job at somebody's house, I reckon there's a set of tools that you've got in your van or your truck or whatever you have that you know you need to get that job done, right? So you probably need, you know, uh, Stilson. You probably need a whole lot of stuff that's unique to plumbing. Now, my future son-in-law, I'm allowed to say that now, <laughs> he's a chippy... And he wears something a little bit like this. Now, I know. Looks good, doesn't it? It's not my man bag, Sam. It's all right. <laughs> but a carpenter knows he needs a set of tools to get a job done, right? Like he's got his hammer hanging down here. I can't do it because it always hits me in the wrong place. And he has a tape measure. He has, his, you know, he has all these tools. He knows that he needs an electric saw. He knows that he needs things to get the job done. Well, if that's our job description, what tools do we need? That's our job description. If I was to say to you, that's our job as believers, that's our job as ambassadors for people that extend the kingdom of God, we're going to need a set of tools to get that done. It's no good me taking a hammer. It's no good me taking an electric saw. It's not going to get the job done because that's a spiritual exercise, so I'm going to need spiritual tools. And so God, in his wisdom, gave us a set of tools to be able to get that done. So how do you set someone free that's a captive? You have to proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he forgives our sin, that there's hope for your life, that God has a plan and purpose. You have to articulate something. You have to proclaim something for that person to understand the option that's set before them. And if you look at that job description, the vast majority of the things that we do to achieve that outcome is communication, verbal communication. And so a number of the gifts that God gave us relate very specifically to getting the job done. And they're not tools that, that um, medals that we wear on our chest to say, oh, I've got this gift. They're actually tools to get a job done. And if we look at them that way, then they're not competitive. They're just tools that we utilise to be a blessing to get those people across the line and into the kingdom of God. So when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, he said there's diversity of gifts. There's lots of gifts in the toolbox, in the tool bag, but the same spirit gives them. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation or the exhibition of the Spirit's presence in our life is given to each one of us for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues." 
So those gifts are the primary tools that God has given us to achieve that job description. And so we need to realise that to actually get the job done effectively, we need them all. So it's no good going to a you know, plumbing job and trying to undo some of the, the fittings with your bare hands. You're going to need stiltsons that are specifically designed to grip where there's no grip and release things. It's no good going and trying to build a building if you don't have a level. You're going to use a level to build a building unless you've got really good eyesight. And so what we need to understand that as a church, in, in terms of ministry, we need all these gifts to get things done. And today we're going to look at the, the gift of languages or the gift of tongues. Um, and it's a really controversial topic. I'm going to look at this idea of speaking in tongues. Now, I don't know that the word tongue is a really good descriptor. It should be better speaking in languages. Because God gives us languages that are not necessarily human. They could be angelic or they could be human to get the work of ministry done. And, and we often get fearful about that, but we don't need to be. Because what language does God speak? He speaks every language, right? So language is not an issue for God. If you think about angels and demons, what language do they speak? Are there English demons and Fijian demons? They speak every language. They're not inhibited by language, but human beings are. And there's a reason why we are, and we're going to have a look at that in a minute. But everything to do with ministry and life really has so much to do with speech. You imagine trying to do church without none of us talking. We wouldn't worship, we wouldn't pray, we wouldn't preach. There really wouldn't be much effectiveness happening. We've got to understand that the primary way that we work for the kingdom of God comes through our mouth. When we prophesy, when we have a word of knowledge, that word of knowledge is no good until it's spoken. So our mouths, our communication is, is a really important part of extending the kingdom of God. And so this Greek word for speaking in tongues or speaking in languages is the word glossolalia. And it's the most commonly accepted term for speaking in tongues in Scripture. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit where believers are enabled to supernaturally speak in a language that they did not learn. So it wasn't like they went to French class or German class. God just supernaturally says, Ben, here's a language for you. Use it. Here's a language for you, Linda. Use it. Now, the who, what, where, and how we're going to look at in a minute. But for God to take all the differences in language and use them for his glory is not a big issue for God. The difficulties on our side of the ledger trying to understand, well, okay, how do we use that gift to the effectiveness of building God's kingdom and the church. So if we think about it, although not exclusively, when we talk about speaking in tongues or speaking in other languages, it's primarily practised in Pentecostal and charismatic churches, but not exclusively. And some Christians who speak in tongues believe they are speaking in an existing language. So if people here today started to speak in tongues and we had a machine that could decipher what language it was, it might be... Aramaic, or it might be Romanian, or it might be, okay, that's one context of the gift. But most people believe they are uttering a language that's not used on earth. It's a heavenly language. It's a tongue that's not decipherable to the human ear. So if you had someone from every nation of the world in front of you, and you spoke out that language, not one of them would understand it. 
It's not a human-used language on the earth today. It's a God-given language that the angels speak or angels, plural, speak. I don't really know. None of us really know. But there is a context in which both can exist. So some Pentecostal denominations teach that the speaking of tongues, that impartation from God to us to speak that new language is the proving point or the sign or the evidence that you've been baptised in the Spirit. And so we end up on this topic with a whole lot of different opinions, a whole lot of confusion. And when we go back to Scripture to, to really find out, well, okay, what is the truth? Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. Like, I don't want you to live in fear. I don't want you to be doubtful about what the true application of them in. Who gets the gift? How does it work? When does it operate? How should it operate? He says, we should all know. Then why don't we? Why, if I walk down to the church down the road, might I get a totally different opinion on this topic? We've got to acknowledge that there's got to be a caution when we deal with this subject. Because I could make a case for any viewpoint on the gifts of tongues. I could convince you today that they're finished. I could convince you today that only some of you get it. I could convince you today that you should all have it. Because Scripture has enough ambiguity or enough, you know, there's enough moving room in Scripture to be able to make a good case for anything that you want to believe. So we need to be cautious that we don't get on our high horse and think that we've got it all right when our pursuit should be for truth, yes. But you need to be aware that it's a journey that a lot of people are on to really discover the right way to use this gift. So there's a lot of people out there that say everyone should have this gift of tongues and that's their agenda. And if you go to their church, do you speak in tongues, young man? No, well, you come down here and we'll teach you how to do it right now. Okay? There's people that would come along and say, there's only select people that get that gift. It's like any of the other gifts that God just says, I'll give that one to Kelly and I'll give that one to Daryl. And that's the Spirit's job to decide who gets the gift and when. And so we've got all this variation out there. It's just one of the many gifts of the Spirit. And yet it's earned more prominence than most of the others. More confusion. There's been more churches split by it. There's been all sorts of fallout because of this one topic. It's shrouded in controversy because it's spectacular. You know, if you can't speak a language and suddenly you can speak a language, I don't know how you prove any more the evidence of God being present than that to happen. Like language is common to all of us. We all speak. And so God's used that one thing to demonstrate his presence by giving, that, giving people that capacity and I suppose if you have that gift, then wanting to use that is a natural outflow of God's presence. But it can create great danger. And so when we come back to Scripture and we say, well, I'll use that as my benchmark. I'll make sure that I unpack Scripture bit by bit by bit and I get the full story. We're left with Paul's teaching and we sort of go, well, he tried to sort it out, but i am still got some confusion there. I could read it this way or I could read it that way. And so the use of grammar in Scripture creates these scenarios where there could be possible explanations, and we don't really know. So when Paul wrote in Acts 19, and he said, um, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were 12 in all. Does that mean they all spoke in tongues, all 12, and all 12 prophesied? Does it mean six of them spoke in tongues and six prophesied? 
What does it mean? Now, I could make a case and say they spoke in tongues, they meaning all, and they prophesied. But that's not grammatically what it says. There's, there's interpretation that we need to put on it. And so I think we need to be really careful when we come to this subject, and at the end of it, I'll explain to you how we get around the difficulty. But we need to be sensitive that there is no hard, fast way that we can come out and say we know absolutely we've got the truth. There is an absolute truth, but from our side of the ledger, it's very hard to say that we've got it. And we'll explain that a little bit more. And I think when we come to this subject, context is really important. If you don't know the scriptures very well, very early on in Genesis, when the, the people of the earth were trying to build a tower to heaven, do you remember that? The Tower of Babel, Babel. And God said, let us go down, the Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered people abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore it was named Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them all over the face of the earth. So here we had a scenario where humanity in their pride was trying to build a tower to God and God said, this is not on, this is prideful. I'm going to stop them from being able to do that. And he gave them all different languages. So John was trying to talk to Daniel and they all had the same language. So it was, hey, we need a plumber over here. No worries, we'll come and do that. Suddenly you couldn't speak to him. You couldn't communicate anymore because he spoke in a language that was not known. And so there was no unity anymore. People couldn't work together. And so they just, I guess, found the like-minded, like-languaged people that God had. And they got together as groups and they splintered and went throughout the earth. Now, when we come to Acts, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on human flesh, when the presence of God for the first time in human history invaded the inner being of mankind, this was done back again the opposite way. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat on each of their heads and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under earth. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Now you think about the men gathered in that room. They were primarily Jews. They spoke Aramaic. And suddenly those men had the capacity to speak almost every language that was known at that time in history. And the people that gathered to hear the noise, the, the rabble coming out of that place, began to hear those guys speaking in their own native tongue and they could understand. What could they understand? They heard them praising God. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, and on and on and on and on it goes. And I'm going to get them wrong if I keep reading. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. 
So at Babel, we had confusion and we had them scattering. Now we've got God drawing men to himself through language and giving people a supernatural capacity to speak a language they haven't heard. They don't even know what they're speaking, but someone out there with ears is hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and able to embrace that teaching, that proclamation. So that gives us a context of what God was doing. And we've already said that God's not inhibited by different languages and that we've got that problem. And what God is doing when he imparts that gift to us is using us as a vessel through which the Spirit of God speaks whatever language he desires that person to have for whatever purpose God desires that person to have. So this morning, when Cheryl stood up here, God gave her a sense to go and stand in front of the church and speak. Did she know what she was going to speak? Mm -mm. Not until she started to speak it. And as she began to speak it, God gave her a revelation in her mind in English of what she was speaking in a language that she never learned and doesn't know. But we all got blessed by that because not only did she speak out the language, she then interpreted it in English so that we could all say yes and amen. We can understand what you're saying. We can be edified what we're saying and we all get encouraged and we all get built up. Now, if Cheryl had come up here and she'd spoken that language and sat down and there was no English interpretation, we'd have all gone, well, that wasn't much help, was it? Sounded pretty, but I don't have any benefit from that exercise. And we need to understand that the gift of tongues always has a benefit. And that benefit is primarily in the context of commonly being built up. We need to keep that in the back of our mind all the time. So here's what Paul says. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue or a language does not speak to men, but to God. Rabiki shakata Right? I could speak that out to you all day, but you wouldn't understand what I'm saying. It's just a language that is heavenly and it really has no earthly use except that it edifies me when I say it. But in a context of where we are gathering together, there has to be common understanding. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. So God is just filling that person up allowing them to speak a language that in God's economy is actually got great worth and value. But it only becomes valuable to us when we can understand what's going on. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to all men because prophecy is done in the native tongue. So if I say, Peter, I believe God's going to do this in your life and I think God is doing this and doing that, we can all get in on that spoken word and say, yeah, I, could, I agree with that. I have a sense that that's right and true. But if I just speak tongues to him in a language he doesn't understand, he just sits there going, what are you going on about? There's no value to me. So he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Now Paul goes on to say, I wish you all spoke with tongues. But even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Unless, indeed, he interprets that the church may receive the edification. Now, Cheryl and I didn't set that up this morning. I need to, that's my disclaimer. We did not set that up. 
But you understand that that's exactly what happened. The one who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues because if there's an interpretation, then the value comes to all of us and we're all built up and we all receive edification. So the gifts are good and we're encouraged to seek after them. There's no prohibition. Paul's not saying, stop it. You're out of order. You're out of control. That's, that's the wrong thing to do. He's actually saying, no, I'm encouraging you to do this. In fact, I want you to do this. I wish you spoke in tongues more than I do, Paul is saying. So he's not saying they're ceased. He's not saying be fearful. He's just saying use the gift like you're supposed to use the gift. Use the tool like you're supposed to use the tool. Like if you cut him with a saw, what do you do? You put glasses on, you put earmuffs on. Not that Ed does. <laughs> he uses them the wrong way and I get nervous. But if we use the tools the right way, then we don't need to be fearful. So the speaking of a tongue without any interpretation or understanding is a speaking a mystery to God. It's not wrong because God's been using us and things are happening in the spiritual realm and we're speaking out stuff that we don't even understand and we don't even really know what's going on when we speak that. But I can tell you there's power in the spoken word. Even if I don't have understanding but I still speak it out, God is still achieving things. There's no common benefit. There is only personal spirit benefit, but no intellectual benefit. So if I speak in a tongue and I don't understand what I'm saying, my spirit is edified. I know that God is well pleased with me. I know I'm drawing closer to God, but I really don't have any understanding in my mind of what is going on. My mind's disengaged from my spirit. It's not, Paul's not saying that's wrong. He's saying, but there's no value to everybody else. It's a personal value. And he says, but prophecy speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to all men. So Paul's actually trying to steer our understanding of the use of tongues to a much deeper understanding. He who speaks in a tongue only edifies himself. We've said that, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So I believe what Paul's teaching us is that there's a greater purpose. So Paul's emphasis is always you've got to include everybody when this gift operates. And everybody has to get value out of it. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with an unknown language, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophecy, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether a flute or a harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sound, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise, Unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will just be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. And then he goes on to say, even so you... Since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Now, here's the tipping point. Verse 13. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue or a language that he doesn't know, pray that he may interpret. There's a difference. 
If I speak in a prayer language that I do not know, what Paul is saying to me, I should be praying, the onus should be on me to be asking God, give me understanding in my mind of what I'm actually speaking out that I hear that I don't understand so that I get both benefit. What is the conclusion then? If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So what's the conclusion? Paul's saying, I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with understanding if I have interpretation. I will sing with the Spirit and I will also sing with understanding. He's saying that the proper use of this tool is that any one of us that has this gift should be able to mature in it into such a place where we not only speak the language, we understand what we're saying. It has so much greater benefit. And then if I use it in a corporate context, I can tell people what I'm saying. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other's not edified. So if I stand here this morning and I speak in tongues, none of you are going to go, yep, Mark, that sounds great. We're on, we believe what you're saying, because you don't. You don't know what I'm saying. How can you say amen? I may be giving thanks well to God and doing what God you know, gives me unction to say, but it's of no benefit to the church. And the context of the gifts is always for the profit of all. They're not for our personal exclusive use at the exclusion or the damage of people in a congregation. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all, yet in the church... I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Pretty powerful revelation, hey? Now, if you think about what Paul's saying here, if I can speak a language that I do not know and I can interpret what the meaning of that statement is and then speak it out in English, it becomes prophecy. Because we all have the benefit of of understanding. We can all correct the word. So if I speak at a language and I say that Jesus Christ never rose from the dead and he's a false God, and you're all going to say, I don't agree with that. But when I speak it out in English, whatever I've spoken in an unknown language, you can say yes and amen. You can say, I agree with that. That's God speaking to us. You heard what the Spirit said this morning. Now, when Cheryl spoke that language, that was God speaking directly to us. He was saying, Come. Now, what more do you want God to do? Stand here in person and say, Simone, come, bring your burdens. I want to look in your face. I want to dry your tears. That's God's direct revelation to us as a people. If we're going to go, oh, ho-hum, that was nice. We've missed the point. How otherwise does God reveal himself? He just did a supernatural thing. I know Cheryl never learnt that language. She can't speak any language except for English. I know that. But I also know that in his wisdom, God allows this to happen because it all brings us back to God and his wonder and his glory that he could allow that to happen in our lives. That revelation could come that I couldn't know any other way, but God dropped it in my mind. The words of knowledge would come, that prophecy would come, that tongues would come. They're all just manifestations, proof an exhibition of this God that we serve, that we say is supernatural, that can do anything he wants to do, is actually starting to do that in us. That was the whole purpose of Pentecost, that God was no longer out there 
he now dwelt in the hearts of men and women and that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. And young men would dream dreams and, 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 and that God's presence and power would now be something that comes from the inside out. That's the greatest pinnacle of God's expression of love for humanity that he could use you supernaturally to extend his kingdom. And we need to get in on this stuff because if we're going to get the job done, we need all the tools. Now I can tell you from deliverance ministry, when you're dealing with someone who's demon-possessed and you're trying to deal with that in English and you get to the point of frustration where you don't know any more what to do or what to say because a demonic spirit is not going to play a game with you that's fair. He's going to hide. He's going to mock. He doesn't want to come out of that person. And you get to the point where you go, Lord, I'm lost. I've come to the end of my human bag of tricks to know what to do. And the Lord will say, we'll speak in tongues. And as you begin to speak in tongues, God gives you revelation of what you're actually speaking and what God's trying to do in that person's life. So I don't have to sit there saying, is it a spirit of rejection? Oh, I've ticked that box. Is it the spirit of Antichrist? Is it Jezebel? Uh, And go through this 65-page list of what it could be. When I begin to speak, it's the spirit of God speaking through me and allowing me to understand what God's actually doing. I'm just an observer. It's just my mouth that's moving in my tongue and I'm observing what God's doing through me. But who's best to do the job? Mark Wilson or God? God. So I just get out of the way and I let God do it. And then my mind begins to get understanding. Oh, that's what it is. This person's been abused. It's that hurt that's the the root cause of the problem here. And then I can begin to pray with insight and awareness. The stronghold is broken. That person's set free. I fulfilled my job description. That's why God gives us the gift. So let's move on. So brethren, do not be children in your understanding. However, in understanding, be mature. For in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are a sign not to those who believe. We don't need to hear someone speak in a weird language to go, oh, God's here. We already know that. We don't need a demonstration of the Spirit because the Spirit's not out there. The Spirit indwells within us. And if you don't know that, then you have no assurance of your salvation. That's the whole point of having assurance that we know that God dwells in us. We know we're empowered by the Spirit. So we don't live in fear or doubt. We live in the fullness of the outpouring of the Spirit. Therefore, tongues don't need to be assigned here to prove to people out there that God is real. Therefore, tongues are assigned not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and we all speak in tongues, and there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will not they say that you are out of your mind? So here we are at Catalyst on Sunday morning and we're all speaking tongues. We're all having a wonderful time, a free-for-all. And some poor bunny that's never been to church before happens to wander in the door and he just hears all these people speaking in all these weird languages having a wonderful time. And he goes, you guys are nuts. You've lost the plot. And Paul's trying to say, look, I'm not stopping you from speaking in tongues, but I'm trying to get you to understand that if you do it in the proper order and the proper context, everyone gets blessed. 
So you can still speak in the tongue, but there has to be an interpretation because that idiot that comes in the door is going, what's going on here? He hears something in a strange language, but then like at Pentecost, he may just hear it in something that he understands. Or then he gets the benefit of hearing the interpretation and goes, oh, wow, that was pretty weird. How did that happen? And so he's drawn to God. What's drawing him to God? Something supernatural. There's nothing wrong with it. Paul's just trying to say, get it in proper context. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he's convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So prophecy, because it's done in English, or if we're in Italy, it's done in Italian, or wherever the context is, the stranger can come in and get in on what is happening. He can receive the word. He can receive the understanding and respond to that. But if it's just a strange language, there's nothing of benefit to him. So how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together at the Corinthian church, each of you has a psalm, a teaching, a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, but Paul's warning, let all things be done for edification. Nobody should feel left out. Nobody should feel excluded. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let that be two or at most three, each taking in turn and let someone interpret. If you come to a church service and somebody speaks in a tongue and there is no interpretation, then you cannot respond to that word. Is that an error? It could be. It could be an error because the context might be that that person speaking hasn't yet quite grasped what they're interpreting the interpretation and they might be trusting that somebody else in the congregation is going to get the interpretation. There are scenarios where I've heard tongues spoken. There was no interpretation, but I know someone in the congregation heard something in their own native language and responded. The only person that needed to hear it was that individual. So it's not a hard, fast rule, but I think Paul is saying we need to be really sensitive that this is about inclusion. This is about everyone getting a benefit from the use of the gift. If it's prophetic in English, we can all jump on. But if it's an unknown language, there has to be an interpretation. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Now, here's the tricky bit. How would that person know that there was an interpreter? He would have to take a risk, wouldn't he? Paul's saying, if you don't know the interpretation, be quiet. Don't even speak because you need to know that there's going to be an interpretation. Now, that might be that God tells you there's going to be an interpretation and you just have to step out in faith. But I think Paul's telling us that to really use this gift well, we should have both. We should have the unction and we should have the understanding. Therefore, we can give the interpretation. Now, I know what's happening in some of your minds. Some of you are going, well, what if they make it up? What if they make the interpretation up? What if they say something and then they make something up? It can happen. I've seen it happen. I know a university professor that purposefully went to a Christian meeting, stood up in the back, spoke in a language, and then someone interpreted it. He knew the language he was speaking. He said nothing about God. And someone interpreted it. He did it as an exercise in a church where they weren't 
just distinguishing the spirits and weren't testing the word. And that's what Paul goes on to say. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. So just because Cheryl has said something in a strange language and then she's interpreted, we just don't swallow that hook, line and sinker. We go, is that a reflection of God's word? Is that consistent with the character and the nature of God? If Jesus was here this morning, what would he be saying to us? Come, bring your burdens. I want to wipe the tears from your face. I want to lift you up. I want to bless you. It's consistent with the word of God. Come, all you who are burdened and heavy laden. We can say yes and amen to that. We can know that God had a specific word for this church and us as a people. And Isn't that wonderful? Truly, isn't that wonderful? There's no greater cutting edge in the Christian life than to know God is speaking in the here and now, a word right in season for us. And if we respond to that word, you know what will happen? More will come. If we don't respond to that word, God will go, well, what's the point? I've revealed myself. How else is God going to reveal himself? Is the microphone going to speak by itself? He's going to use a human vessel. That's the mystery of this, that God wants to use us. But if we're fearful, if we're apathetic, if we're indoctrinated to think the wrong way, then those things won't happen because God can't use us. He needs someone who God can just say, Cheryl, go do this. And Cheryl won't be like a Mark who goes analytically and logically, but God, what about this? And what if that happens? And what if this person gets offended? And God knows if he says, Cheryl, do this, she'll go and do it. So she gets the blessing and the benefit of being the vessel because she doesn't complicate it. God just says, do it. She says, okay, Lord, I'll trust you. And so that's what Paul goes on to say. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So there is a plan. Now, here we get to the interesting part. Now, you, us, we are the body of Christ and we are members individually of that body. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracle workers, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are you all apostles? The answer has to be no. Are you all prophets? Are you all teachers? Are you all workers of miracles? Do you all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? What's the answer? No. Yet we have churches out there telling you that everyone should. Now, I understand how they get to that conclusion. I'm not convinced that that conclusion is consistent with other parts of Scripture that seem to contradict it. Therefore, I say I don't make a doctrine out of it. I let God be God. I let God decide. It's not me who decides who gets the gifts. It's not me who decides, you know, Kelly's an apostle or, you know, Glenn's a a prophet. I don't get to decide. That's God's job. And if we can let God be God, we don't get in the way. Now, look, but earnestly desire the best gifts. So Paul's not saying don't do it. He's saying jump on board and do the most excellent way, which is all things should be done in love. Now, read this passage with me because it's really interesting. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they shall cast out demons. 
They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents and they will drink any deadly thing. Trent, could you go and get me some poison out of the toilet, please? Could you do that? Because someone will make a theology out of this and they will say, yeah, we should all speak in tongues. You put a bottle of poison with them and say, well, down the hatch, mate. I reckon you'll start getting a bit nervous. Now, I'm not trying to be silly. I'm trying to show you the point that this is a plural statement. It would be like me saying, if you follow the Richmond Football Club, they shall hand pass the ball. They shall kick goals occasionally. They shall win games, hopefully. It's a plural statement. These things in the context of the history of the Christian church are the signs that follow. Are they the signs that follow every individual? Possibly. The context is that God could. So it's not, should I speak in tongues? It's, could I speak in tongues? Yes, if God allowed you in the context. Now, one thing's for sure. If I'm not a carpenter, I don't need a hammer and I don't need a tape measure and I don't need a fancy nail bag that makes me look like a girly. (laughs) (laughs) The point is, if we're not doing ministry, you don't need any of these gifts. They're really not for our personal benefit. They're for the extension and the fullness of the church to be able to minister to the lost, to be able, when the lost come in, to have the toolkit to set them free, to deal with their hurts and their pains and their wounds, to give them revelation and understanding. And so the toolbox that we have is a spiritual toolbox. It's not an earthly toolbox. And I think that's part of the frustration for us. It's like we've got to learn to use a set of tools we've never used before. And so we may not be really good at it or we may be fearful of it. I'll tell you what, the first time you pick up an electric saw, it's not a fun experience. You're pretty nervous that that thing's going to kick back and hit you in the leg or something. You know, you've got to learn to do the things properly and and I think that's what we need to do. So we need to cultivate an environment of openness to the gifts with sensitivity to proper order. So that any one of you God could use in the context of a public gathering like this. You might give a word to Pete. And Pete needs to decide if he's going to be obedient and come and do what God's called him to do. Or it could be, you know, it could be any, it could be Mark, it could be Brad, it could be you and I, it could be a visitor. It could be someone who's never been here before that God says, well, uh, none of them are going to respond. I'll use you. You do it. You know, that's just the way it is. We need to be saying, yes, Lord, we want these things to happen and we need to be sensitive. Without a personal hunger and pursuit of God, None of the gifts will manifest. That I do know. If we're not hungry for God, if we're not yearning after these things, if we're not chasing God, if we don't have a heart after the things of God, it's not going to happen. So if you go to a church where they don't pursue the Spirit, where they don't ask for the presence of God, where they're not looking to do outreach, where they're not trying to connect with the community, the gifts won't manifest. There's no point. There's no need to. So the more that we go after God, the more these things will happen. The language of you must, I don't think, needs to be part of the package that we deal with giftedness. It's you can if God lets you, not you must because I'm telling you. And a lot of us have been told. You know, I remember going to a church where, you know, the pastor's agenda was to make sure that our little group that came all left speaking in tongues. So he got all the young people down the front and he just started to tell them, repeat after me, you know, Bar, bar, black sheep, have you every wool? Say it 10 times fast. Bar, bar, black sheep, have you every wool? Bar, bar, black sheep, have you every wool? And he tried to teach people. He can't teach people a gift that comes from God. 
It just comes. It just manifests. And you know what? It manifests out of a heart of love for God. I can tell you the people that got the gift of tongues either got it when they first got baptised in the Spirit, when they were at that real vulnerable surrender to God. Lord, I know I've been living a sinful life, but now I'm turning to you and I surrender. At that point of vulnerability, God went wham. Or it came in a journey where that person, you know, maybe had to deal with some sin, maybe had to learn some more, maybe had to get to a point of hunger. And when they opened themselves out, God went, now's the time. Now you're ready. Now you're going to deal with the gift properly. And it is a dangerous gift if it's used the wrong way. So any doubt on any issue we've got related to tongues can be really solved simply. Let's just let God be God. If we're hungry for him, Lord, I don't want to miss out on anything you've got for me. If you want to give me the gift of tongues, I want it. If you want to give me the gift of healing, I want it. But I know that if I put myself in a situation where I need the tools, I'm much more likely to get the tools imparted to me than if I'm sitting back in my chair going, well, I'll let everybody else do it. You know, you don't need wisdom if you're not dealing with someone in confusion. You don't need revelation unless you're dealing with a situation where there's a blockage. So we've got to be ministers, which is what that job description was at the start. Let God be God. He decides the who, the when, and the where. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. But God's going to put his hand on people, and we should be giving recognition to the manifestation that God is bringing out in people and identifying those gifts and giving that person the value and the recognition that God is using them that way. That's what the body does. I don't need to look down at my toes and go, I just want to remind you you're a toe. It knows it's a toe because it does the function of a toe. So it's very easy for us when we see each other operating spiritually to be able to go, that person has this gift. You know, Dave Rogers has a prophetic intercessory gift. When he begins to pray, when he first starts, he's like a cold engine. But suddenly God breaks in. God breaks in and he begins to pray. And you can hear the way that he prays is suddenly changing. And sometimes I go... Hey, that sounds pretty good coming out of Dave's mouth. Like, he's right on the spot. He's got it. He's, he's there. God's given him that insight and awareness. He doesn't have to rabble on for 25 minutes. God just says, pray this way, Dave. And he does it. And he's right in the moment. He's right on the spot. He's hit the issue. He's got that gift. And I'm more than happy to affirm him in that gift and encourage him to use that more because I know that's part of the package that God's given to Dave. And, and he can be encouraged by that. And the next time he goes to pray, he won't be going, oh, should I doubt? Should I fear? He'll be like, no, I have this gift. I need to use it for the glory of God. And the more that he exercises that gift, the more fine-tuned he will get in it, the more revelation he will get from God, the harder, the faster, the better that and effective that tool will be. I guess that's why Paul says, I wish you spoke in tongues more than, you know, than me, because he knows the benefit of it. And he's encouraging people to get on board. The other thing we've got to do is remove the obstacles. I was raised in a church where the gifts had ceased. The apostles were the only people that ever got those gifts. So at the end of their death, when John died on the island of Patmos, that was the end of the gifts. That's what I was taught. So my mindset was that these things had finished. In fact, I was told that the gift of tongues was demonic. So imagine poor little Mark at the age of 16 going along to his mate's church. That was a Pentecostal church and everybody started to speak in tongues. What was my mind saying? They've all got demons. What am I doing here? I've got to get out. Was I was in total error. I can tell you it took me 25 years 
to undo that indoctrination and come back to the Word of God and say, no, this is not a lie, there's truth, but that was out of order. And if we get it in order, it can be a beautiful, wholesome gift that everyone experiences great things from. There can be sin in your life that stops the gifts from coming. You know, we're trying to get close to God. We're trying to be a holy people and yet we're mucking around over here with something that's really ungodly. There's going to be barriers and we need to pull those barriers down. There could be apathy. I mean, you could be sitting here today just saying, well, so what, Mark? You know, it's just another gift. Then you've missed the point that we want to extend the kingdom of God and we need the gifts. We're, we're hamstrung without the full package. And when we have the full package and everybody works together, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. And we all feel valuable and we all feel like we've got something to contribute and we don't have a dynamic like we do now where, you know, 120 people are sitting listening to one person be the wealth of wisdom. We've got a body that ministers where my part is just one little piece in a much bigger puzzle and we all play a valuable part. The other thing that can happen is contempt. Like Paul says, do not despise prophecy. Do not despise the gifts of the Spirit. There's a lot of negativity or a lot of you know, pulling down of the gifts out there saying they're not of God or they're not effective or whatever. We need to celebrate these things. We really do because it's God's fullness released in us. Does that make sense? I'm tongue-tied. Why don't we pray? Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to thank you for, I guess it is a mystery, the way that you choose to operate in and through us, Lord. And Father, I thank you that just language is the one thing that we all share together, that we need to hear language that we can understand so we can respond, so that we can learn, so that we can grow, so that we can be effective, Lord. We all need to have that, that understanding to be able to speak and proclaim and to pray to prophesy, Lord, it's a lot of what we do in ministry has got to do with what comes out of our mouth. A lot of damage is done, Lord, by what comes out of our mouth. This little tongue of ours has the power of life and death in it. And Lord, I reckon if you've got control of my tongue, that's a much better thing than if I do. And if you've got control of the speech that I articulate, if you give me the unction, then who better than to be the author of that than you. And Lord, I thank you that you do use your people. You do groan in us sometimes the prayers that we don't even know what to pray. You implant them and you allow us to speak them out. And I thank you, God, that you give us, the, as Paul said, the ability to interpret what you're doing within us so that we can get the benefit, not just in the spirit, but in the mind as well. And I pray, Lord, that as a church, that we would be fervent for the things of God, that we would truly be a congregation of people that hunger to work together, to see God manifest in himself through, whether it be the youngest or the oldest, the wisest or the most, newest to the faith, God, we just really want to see you at work. And we pray, Lord, teach us. Teach us how to enter into the fullness that you have for us. Lord, my prayer today is that you would release your fullness right across the life of this church. Lord, where there's people that have been in doubt and fear, would you break that fear in Jesus' name? And in its place, God, would you reveal yourself to them so that they can breathe in the fullness of what you have for them? 
Father, where we've been out of order, where we've used gifts in such a way that we haven't been sensitive to others, Lord, help us just to rein that in a little bit, just so that the body is edified. And Father, we just want to be pleasing in your sight. We just want to be your vessels, Lord. Just want to be used mightily to see lost souls saved, to see captives set free, to see the blind suddenly understand the truths of God, to see those that are brokenhearted find hope and joy. Lord, what a greater word than there is that when you come and speak someone right into somebody's life, it's far better than what I could ever make up. But when you impart it, when it's your word to them, Father, we know that the kingdom of darkness will flee that the strongholds will be broken, that light will be shined, that life will come. Lord, that's our desire as a church, to keep pressing in, as Paul said, to excel in the gifts. We want to use them for your glory. We want to use them for the extension of your kingdom. And Father, help us to work together. Lord, bring us unity. Teach us how to you know, just, just hear one another's hearts and understand the differences that we might have, Lord God, and to sharpen each other's lives, Lord, as we gather around your word, as we fellowship together, as we pray, as we minister, as we send people out to the mission field, as we reach out through our ministries in the life of this church, Lord, may it all be to your glory and your honour and your majesty, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, does anybody have any questions? Because this is the sort of topic where it's nice to have the opportunity to ask if you're stuck. Always good. Good. Yeah. Got one question. <laughs> Is there a difference yes, very much so. But Paul's telling you when he says, let that person keep quiet, I think the use of that prayer language between you and God is something that shouldn't interfere with the worship of other people. So I think it's quite fine to use it in sensitivity. Like oftentimes when I'm out there and we're praying before church, I feel the need to pray in tongues, but I don't start speaking so that I interrupt you and you. I might just walk around the circle or turn my back a little bit and I speak it out myself. It's, it's really about love. And love is inclusion. And love is making sure that we're all on the same page as much as possible. Now, if you happen to be someone who doesn't operate in that gift and everybody else does, how are you going to feel? You know, feel like the left out one, eh? the loser in the team. And it's not like that at all. It really isn't. Why do we take that one gift and make that the, you know, the measuring stick for how valuable we are in God? It is valuable because it's part of what God gives us. But in context, it's just one of a bigger puzzle. So I think, yeah, you're right. There is a, there is a self-edification that we get out of that. And God doesn't stop that. But in terms of a public dynamic, we've always got to be sensitive to people around us. Or ask permission. If there's a time when you're praying for someone and I'm praying for, say, Jenny, and I think, oh, I really need to pray in tongues, Jenny, is it all right if I do that? If she says no, then I've got to respect that. I don't know what history she's had. God can still achieve it in English, but he chooses not to. That's the point sometimes. Thanks, Cheryl. Thank you. Anybody else? Really quickly. Well, good.